human life in all its uh, manifest forms, possibilities of very varied and multifaceted experience. It's uh, the amount of experiences, thoughts, memories, things that we can uh, have go through our minds, through our bodies, in period of one day, let alone a lifetime, is is vast. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of confusion as to which is the what's which is the right one to follow, what's the right thing to follow, what do we need to develop, what do we need to have, and we can come up with a. Uh, lists of beautiful virtues that we'd like to aspire to love and kindness and uh, compassion, wisdom, truth, honesty sincerity you you can find these lists of, of qualities and virtues that we fill in as you when you cultivate Meditation, then you come up with one, come up with other lists. Equanimity, energy, effort, concentration, insight, mindfulness, and so on and so on and so on. And it can get rather bewildering. very sense of not having things in perspective of life being uh, a very vast experience for us is painful in, the, in, a, in a strange way it's not, um, not agonising, it's just confusing we lack a sense of direction, wonder what to do what to do first in, uh, there are, just the, even following Buddhist meditation there are quite a variety of different techniques and systems that we could be using. Which is the right one? Is there a right one? Does it vary from individual to individual or is there really actually just one one proper system that will do it? The Buddha himself was someone who uh, went to various teachers during his lifetime before, before he had his profoundest realizations to check out what, the, what they were teaching, what they were doing, and develop some of these skillful means, different levels of consciousness and uh, austerities, practices he could pick up and do. And yet uh, he found eventually the answer was none of them, really. Because he he hadn't actually at that time realised the underlying single factor that is essential for realisation. The one point... And this point is sometimes called non-attachment or uh, or detachment, slightly strange word, detachment, but non-attachment, 
which doesn't really do it justice. The Pali, the word is viveka. And the Buddha said he experienced this after having undergone a lot of struggles and trials and uh, uh, developed a lot of skills and put a tremendous amount of effort into practice and realized that no matter how much effort he put into the practice uh, and however good he got at it, eventually you're still left with this rather unsatisfied state of mind of, well, you know, so what, you've got this and now what? Because this quality of non-attachment or viveka was not present. I think in in a, in a humbler way of our own practice, you can recognise you can go on retreats for a month, a year, whatever, and uh, put everything you got into it, and still find that uh, along with the the uh, focus, power you have, the sense of determination, the resolutions that one makes and the energies that one puts forward and even the, the really fine pinpoint clarity that can come up, there is behind it, whenever you say let go and relax and you know, stop putting the effort in, behind it there's a, there's maybe there's a feeling of, well, well so what? And, or, or more. Or what next? That we, this experience of dissatisfaction or lack of stasis, lack of satisfaction, the mind can always, whatever state you get to, the mind can always conceive of a further or a better or a higher or having it longer than, than you've had it. So no matter how far you get, you think, will you have it longer, better, more, steadier, more continually? And uh, this, this shadow falls across the practice. And uh, sometimes, you know, when you've been practicing for a while, you, you realize, you get a feeling, no matter how far you go, that thing goes right with you. What is it that drives one onwards? Is it possible to be motivated towards practice without having this feeling of a, a nagging discontent or dis-ease? Why is it that uh, when we um, cultivate and maybe we uh, give up lots of things and we keep precepts, do retreats, we meditate, the end result of it can be a feeling of still a lack of worth. Because even though you, you, uh, um, you acted skillfully, you refrained from killing or harming anybody, lying, stealing, swearing, boozing, and so on, they, we refrain from doing these things and this, you know, developing that, what it, what it takes to be able to just sit still and hold the body still, which is not used to doing, and concentrating the mind. That the 
your mind wavers from from your chosen meditation object, they come can come in as a very heavy critics criticisms and judgments and blaming, feeling of inadequacy over the, over one stray thought or one vague mental state. What does dullness do to the mind? Sometimes you can get almost suicidal over feeling over feeling dull. Why is it we make it so hard for ourselves and uh, are so heavy? And so difficult to satisfy, so lacking in contentment or gratitude for the blessings that have arisen in our lives. Can we get through a day feeling grateful for having enough to eat and shelter and warmth and freedom from oppression, freedom from harm and maybe just a a reasonable state of health? Difficult, wouldn't it be, to do that without something coming up in your mind saying, well, why don't you develop something? Why don't you, uh, have you got anywhere yet? What are you doing with your life? And these kind of uh, nagging voices. Because this is all, this is bound up really with the sense of, of self. And the sense of self is, uh, is that which arises when there is no viveka, when there's none of this non-attachment. Now, non-attachment is more than just a, a kind of a, a gesture of the mind. It's actually, it's a plenitude. It's a kind of state of buoyancy. When we have trust, when there's a kind of feeling of trust, faith, confidence, in ourselves. The Buddha said he first experienced that after having cultivated uh, some what we would think be very profound states of meditation but to him felt disappointed and so what with. Um, just by remembering or reflecting on the occasion when he'd been a small boy sitting under a beautiful cool tree in the heat of the day and watching his his father ploughing a field, a sense of uh, of not having anything to do, being awake, watching something that uh, obviously his father, feeling of uh, someone he could relate to, trust, uh, doing something very normal and ordinary, nothing special about it at all, and coolness, uh, sense of ease. Nothing on the agenda, nothing to solve, nothing to become, nothing to to make, nothing to deny, nothing to prove, no performance is necessary. Nothing in the mind saying, you know, what are you doing? What about bringing something up? What about making something? What are are you doing with your life? Just, Just here, at this moment. And in that with that quality of viveka, of non-attachment, a subtle 
buoyancy and happiness arising. And when there was this happiness, then the mind endowed with that began to uh, bring forth its skills. Skills that he had cultivated through, through formal practices, through practices of meditation, considerable skills, but skills that had never really been properly used because the ground, the, the starting point, ironically enough, is sometimes it's the starting point that takes the longest to get to. We get to the engineering of the practice without getting the heart of it. We get to the kind of techniques and, and uh, ideas of it without finding the place to begin. We don't begin from coolness, inner acceptance, a kind of buoyancy of the mind when there's nothing, there's no big problems, nothing on the agenda. We can be, have that for a moment at least to find a place where we are at peace with ourselves. And for most people, this quality of Viveka involves what I've just mentioned briefly or talked about as, as a going forth. We have to, in some way, step out of our habit modes, our roles, of our uh, duties, perhaps even of our company, of our families, of our jobs, while we come to a meditation centre. For a moment at least, we physically step out from that. This is called uh, Kaya Viveka, stepping out physically. Mm. Non-attachment based just upon you know, putting your, taking your body out of situations where you're compulsively involved in your run-a-day routines, that's in the people you've got used to, who are where we continually create each other in relationships and roles. In a retreat centre like this one, then we we don't try to establish particular relationships. There's a sense of, of stillness or silence, and when we meet and communicate, we're trying to do so not in order to establish relationships or to um, affirm each other's identities, but just a meaningful discussion on a point of, of how it is, of truth, of not who's got the answers, who's, the, who's the, uh, the wisest person or the most intelligent person or the most screwed up person. It could be even a competition of who's the most neurotic. You know, it makes you stand out a little anyway. But that we can see, you know, there are, there are these, we all have in some ways elements of, of understanding, of wisdom, things we can be honest and, and wise about. There are, we have elements of confusion and pain. And uh, in, in right with right view, with the right view of practice, we begin to see these 
as elements, as fac- faculties, and what are called dhammas, as things, rather than as some personality packet. And so we are not trying to fulfill the personality, enlighten the personality, or abandon the personality. We just stop creating it. We don't have to keep re-establishing it or denying it. We can, we can use another language. We can say, the feeling is this, the thought is like this, the impression is this way, this is suffering, this is not suffering. And in, in uh, the advantage, say, of, of a Dharma community is that having stepped out, say, of conventional roles, we can begin to establish relationships that are, do not need to affirm anybody's self-experience or to negate it, but just to, to choose a way of language that helps us to see and look into uh, the experiences that we're having. Now, Kaya Viveka, the non-attachment of the bo- of in, bodily, in the bodily sense. It means, so as I'm saying, just the, the ability and having the opportunities to step out of, of uh, the normal form in which we, we live our lives, the normal physical um, places, people, functions, duties. Very, very helpful experience. And when we, if we do that, and we actually make, bring that into consciousness, then there is a, the, you, can, you experience what this uh, freedom of the mind, the non-attachment is, is like. But you have to, you have to do it because, uh, very fully, because of course, just moving a body around by no means um, a lot on its, by itself is going to take you out. We can still be, we can come to a retreat center, do a retreat, carrying everything with us, carrying uh, the whole kamut uh, of our personal lives along. How to just um, to drop it, not to reject it, but to, to, to not need to carry that along. Now we look at, so the, just working like this means what? It means that we're beginning to relate to the experiences of consciousness actually as it happens now. Say the worry or anxiety rather than worrying about who I am and anxious about what I need to be and what I need to develop and so on. Just the sense of contemplating the feeling of of anxiety or of worry or of doubt or of looking for a future. And when we do this, when we begin to cultivate like this, this sense of, of... non-attachment, not attaching a whole personal history to it, just seeing 
these things as they arise in the moment, then we are beginning to, to find the mind has, is endowed with, with uh, wisdom, with insight, with the means that are necessary to, to release us from those experiences. And we arrive at what the second kind of viveka, non-attachment, is called citta viveka, the non-attachment of the mind. This is the mind that's no longer oppressed, overwhelmed, burdened. And in this we, we uh, need to look at what it is that, that burdens the mind. And actually the, there are f- the five hindrances, such as um, ill will, or sense desire, desire to, to taste, eat, smell, listen, see, touch, or even... Uh, desire to, to understand and think things out, that sort of desire for, for intellectual stimulation. You can get into books and ideas and uh, tapes and so on, just to kind of fill the mind up. That, that <coughs> hunger, uh, doubt, dullness, restlessness, these are called the five hindrances, and these are the things that oppress the mind. Now, there's the, uh, the first kind of non-attachment is the ability to, to take these out of, out of circumstances. So that instead of uh, always associating that of being, having attachment to a, a particular um, taste or sight or pleasure or mood or feeling, we do it like that, we, we see, it brings up the idea that we actually, you get, you get very identified with your attachments. So I have a lot of attachments to, to, to music, or to, uh, to food, or to getting my own way, or to, human, or to company, or to solitude. But actually, uh, then, then to, to see it this way means that you get kind of into a, a, a locked position because how those attachments actually stick to us because they, they give us the sense of, of self, that we have those, those attachments and feelings and somehow we are those attachments and feelings. And when we are those attachments and feelings, then it becomes impossible to get out of them. Whereas non-attachment begins with the ability to, to see attachments, desires, fears and worries not no longer as a self, but as moments that arise. As something arising in the moment. Notice the things that you, you, know, you feel 
you have big problems over. And notice when those aren't present. Notice when you're not attached to, to, to uh, food or people or someone you know and love. Notice when that feeling isn't there. And then notice when it is there. And what brings it there. And what brings it there is not a self or a person, but generally a thought, a memory, a movement of the mind carries the, the seed. And the, we think the thought occurs, or there's no, the, there's, the mind slips and it goes into a, the thought processes, looks for something to hold on to, and finds something that uh, has got this karmic potential in it, something stimulating, something that brings up the sense of self. And rather like flypaper, we stick to it. Memories, attitudes, habits, and so on. And we stick to those. Or there is sticking to those, and then the feeling comes up of being somebody who is stuck to it. Then the feeling comes up of, of I should be somebody who isn't stuck to this. And then the feeling comes up of how do I get unstuck from this? And then the thought, the feeling comes up, I can't get unstuck from this, and so on. And then we maybe just absorb into something else or get into some state of despair. And what is not realized is the whole problem is not is not the, the thing, but the sense of the I, that's, that this, this uh, thing which, which makes it all so heavy and so dense and so vast. Can we see an attachment or a desire or an aversion actually as it happens to us in the moment? This is what non-attachment is like. How do, how do you do that? What enables us to, to recognize a desire just, just as something arising in the present moment? However uh, ashamed or embarrassed we may be by that. What is it that grants us that, that liberating power? This is what the why, what I term as as faith, confidence, devotion, trust, all these words. The that essential quality that the Buddha talked about as experiencing when he was sitting under this this tree, a feeling of reaching a place of inner at ease. Not that that by any means is the, the answer, but it's the beginning, it's the growth point. From that position, whenever, then we can start to work out the karmic habits that reoccur in our minds. Now you can make this very, very, very simplistic and think, well, you know, if everything's impermanent and not self, then it doesn't really matter what goes on in your mind. 
it can just be a complete mess and don't don't get worried about it and don't attach to the thoughts and the and the craving and the fears and depression but uh, that's purely theoretical what's more realistic is to recognize that if we just begin to to find a place where we can contemplate those where we can watch those then we begin to bring ourselves into the field of dhamma where this these karmic habits can be resolved can be unwound because they all feed upon and encourage and uh, require the sense of self that's that's what sustains them all the mood the idea the impression the reference to me that's how karma works so you can see that uh, if this is the case the kind of heart attitudes and devotions surrender commitment painful concepts perhaps <laughs> you know, the giving up the going beyond the letting go the the rising out of the kind of courage every, that can be quite apparently on the surface quite small that uh, we undertake that we see is the, the real heart of our practice. This afternoon we would, um, there was a small discussion group going on, uh, occurring and people were just uh, sharing the the common ground of, of anxiety, a feeling of a, you know, how, how common anxiety is. And some of the, the monks were saying, oh yes, you know, it's my standard experience, is one of continual you know, gnawing anxiety. And looking quite, but actually looking quite steady and still and peaceful and being able to define it and say, you know, the anxiety is like this. And when it occurs, it goes like that. You know, and it brings up this kind of physical feeling and it's based upon that particular, these particular incidents and events, they're able to define it quite clearly. And uh, you could see in that actually that the more, in order to resolve some of these things, what, what non-attachment involves and what is the strange mystery of its meaning is it also involves not a getting away from things but a very close-up, clear definition of them. Being out, so viveka are, also means discernment, the ability to define something very clearly, very coolly, very straight, very honest, without the normal emotional cringing, doubt, prevarication, embarrassment, awkwardness. So we can get things in perspective to be able to define something. And that's very important because without that um, way of reflecting on the world, we always assume non-attachment means you get rid of it, you drop it, you kick it out, it's not there. You know, we say we let go of something, it means you kind of shake it away. 
but non-attachment also means very close definition of a problem or of a virtue of a skill of a weakness to be able to see it very clearly when we see it clearly we see it as it is as a dhamma as a phenomenon rather than as terribly wound up into me and this is the beginning of the resolution of these experiences it takes time but from that base more closely we can recognize where these uh, hindrances and obstructions occur the more cool we become about it the more dispassionate that we become about that so eventually you don't really mind whether it's there or not and gradually you find that over a period of time the experience comes up less and less and less and less but you don't really notice it because it's not like a kind of blaze of glory when suddenly you know things everything kind of blows away and you were you were completely ensnared in one minute and then the next minute you know you're totally free often the practice doesn't give you those kind of effects because it's actually like you're dealing with cycles of habit that gradually slow down and you don't realize that maybe it was you know it's been three weeks since you had that experience that normally used to come every three days and then maybe it's three months and then by the time you've forgotten about it you realize you don't get that anymore and you think hey how did I do that and of course the answer is you, you didn't do it it wasn't it's not an achievement it's not a I did it I found out how to do it and I did it what happens is that one has become, the mind has become clearer and clearer to, to, to recognize the habits as they are and through that clarity there's not the kind of frenzy and emotional grasping that, that stimulates and binds the habits to us Maybe then without that fuel they begin to fall away it's like a profound not doing and to profoundly not do one has to arrive at a place where you feel confident to not do confident to not be confident to not achieve this is the place of viveka of non-attachment Oh, the 
experience of simplicity when we take things very simply and uh, the experience of just, just getting more into the body, the experience of the body, of walking, of sitting, of, of, of being with what it, what it takes to just sit in the body, hold the body up, find a way in which the body feels balanced and steady. When we meditate and we work in this way, we're not just setting up the body so that it's not a so that to it. It's not you're, you know, you, you're getting it so you can sit more peacefully so that you can then you know, get into the real practice. In one way, just finding the balance in the body is the key to the real practice because you're actually coming into establishment in the present. What enables you to be established in the present? And grounding yourself into something where you can, you can tangibly experience the, the present moment, just the, the body at rest. And we often we, we work upon uh, a wet bringing, making ourselves fully conscious of the body at rest, not asleep, but in, in stasis, in a kind of peaceful, balanced state. Because if this is the easiest way to bring into consciousness the, the experience of, of viveka, of non-attachment, of balance, of a kind of at-easeness. So as you, when you, you meditate, the posture is, is, can be very helpful, very important. Just a, a calm body and a, the breathing in and the breathing out. And being, allowing oneself to be fully conscious of that and in the present moment. So in the, when we, we do that, we're, we're not doing it in order that we will you know, find truth, become something, develop jhana, get more concentrated, uh, have a good retreat. There's no because to it. We're just sitting because we're sitting. And we're sitting properly. We're sitting in the present rather than we're sitting so that in the future. And it gives you a key to the what non-attachment where where it's where it can be found. What we call the Dhamma as that which is available, present, imminent here and now. Bring the body into the present, bring the, the body into the mind. And for some, uh, this can be strangely difficult because you may feel that you're aware of your body. But it's like the, you're aware of the mind's idea of the body. You know, we, we, so that where often our, our mental experience of the body is one of well, well, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here, I feel quite balanced, got a bit of pain in my knee, um, you know, maybe need some more zafus or another cushion under the knee. We're, we're carrying on a kind of a relationship with the body, which is one of the mind is saying to the body, well, shut up, be quiet, I, I, you know, I need, you just settle down, I'm going places. 
like you would maybe to an old car or a donkey. To the Buddha used the, the phrase, rather a strange phrase, the knowing the body in, in the body. That is actually listening to the body, going into the body, just not so that the that the notional self can can meditate but just taking the time to fully experience and be led by the body. Let the mind actually humble itself or be led by, by, by the body. Open up to the, to the feelings of the body. And breathing, like learning how to breathe fully. So you breathe, you let the breath go fully in and fully out. Often with breathing, there can be all kinds of of tensions and blocks happening. And you feel your breath when it goes right down into your belly, into your abdomen. So the breath is not just something that's kind of keeping you, the me self, alive. Some of the kind of uh, a rather boring function that just happens to happen as part of the machinery, but something that you really are fully conscious of, the whole movement of it. Notice even when you do something like anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, we're not really mindful of breathing. We are attending to breathing so that we can be mindful. So we can have the experience of mindfulness or the experience of concentration and then we can go places. So that our attitude towards something like the breath is always got this, we've got an agenda there. We've got a program. We're not really aware of the breath. We're aware of the breath so that we can be more concentrated, alert, mindful, attentive, and so on. And this, we insert habitually. We insert programs, agendas, aims, definitions. And the one of the uh, purposes of uh, mindfulness of breathing or awareness of the body is to recognize this and to begin to go more and more clearly to just the body in the moment. What's the best way to be mindful while you're walking? I'm going to think, because you always rely upon thinking. Well, so and so says do it this way, then you'd be really mindful. And so the other says do it that way, because that's really mindful. Which is the right way? And because you think, doubt. And when we doubt, we think. And the more we think, the more we doubt. And the more we doubt, the more we think. (laughs) Meanwhile, the body goes on walking, wondering when you're ever going to get the message. (laughs) You know, down here, there's something real happening that maybe you could attend to rather than trying to be mindful. Actually, that, that is a kind of humility of attention. So that uh, Viveka involves that, that kind of surrender of the mind, surrender of the mind's 
conceiving and being on top of things and knowing things and figuring things out and working things out according to its little plans and directives of spend two days doing that and then we get to this point and, we're going to go and then I'm going to go off to India and do this and, and, and how to really surrender into the present moment. This is not a, when we use a word like that, it doesn't mean, you know, I dedicate my whole life forever. It just means now, you know. We can do that. We can't say forever for the rest of your life, do nothing but this. But saying just do it totally for one moment. And if that works for you, then that itself encourages you to do it totally for the next moment, and so on. It's always surrender in the present. A very, uh, a reasonable act of faith. And meditating on the body is the most um, reasonable kind of act of faith. We're surrendering not to some other teacher, not to some other person, not to an idea, not to a belief, not to a God, not to something notional, but to just something very humble, something that we live with continually, and we get some immediate results from. The results themselves are not delayed in time, they're immediate. And what are the immediate results? A lack of preoccupation. The mind becomes quiet, it listens. In fact, we realise that the mind, in the normal way of conceiving it, does not exist. There is no soul, no, no, no kind of mind bag that is watching this stuff going on. There's no self involved in it. There is awareness, awareness based upon physical experience, mental experience. But not a kind of continual entity that's watching, observing, noting, prefabricating, conceiving, imagining, striving onwards. That's the kind of lightness and immediacy of the path. We're free from this mind, this mind concept. to be with the, the body in a moment, what it takes, how the body, when the body is, is rested, when it's balanced, when we can walk without a kind of cramped, intensive attitude, without distractedness, without having other things to do, without trying to make something special out of what we're doing, without all these kind of mind-wrought notions. Sometimes it's, it's almost necessary to stop meditating in order to be more aware. Because meditation becomes another kind of conceptual notion that becomes so saturated with, with one's ideas and, uh, and, and agendas and projects that it becomes almost impossible to really clearly experience a breath or a thought, or a, a bodily sensation, or a sound, just clearly as it is, without trying to fathom it, understand it, get on top of it. Uh, 
And this is what the going forth is like, the leaving behind, the stepping out of that system of experience, where every experience is somehow held into into some self. The self as the experience, or the self as the watcher of the experience. So sometimes mindfulness is just, it's just like doing something properly. Like when you lie down, and you, what it takes, what what lying down is about. You arrange your body on the bed or the floor or the mat, and you lie down, and you. So it's not just the 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 kind of the end of the day when you dump the thing on the floor because you've you've had enough for today, and then you kind of. Uh, hit the sack, dump the meat bag down on the ground and slide off into, into the netherworld. But uh, these, it's areas like that sometimes that you, you can see are where, where the telltale signs of what one is imagining mindfulness and the practice to be about become apparent. So mindfulness is, is perfected and developed through this non-attachment to views, ideas, opinions, a very direct, non-conceptual opening to consciousness. And we can, we can do this much. We can, take, we can always simplify. Meditation practices really are those things which, which are deliberately brought around to actually simplify our experience, to distill, so that we look at closely at one particular field, body, say, touch, sensation, walking, sitting. And it's, uh, it's so revealing that something that should be, and is set up to be almost uh, amazingly simple, becomes amazingly complex. What that three-letter word, sit, comes to mean. You say it to a dog and it's a simple experience. It's sit, dog sits. You say it to a meditator, <laughs> what, what does it bring up? You know, incredible kind of range of expectations, fulfillments, um, projects, ambitions, uh, analyses, going to go and sit here, sit there. Uh, when it, surely the whole idea of, of something like this, of just of sitting, was that it should be beautifully simple, beautifully direct. We're not doing complicated tasks. And then you begin to see that the complications of life are really one's responsibility. We have, uh, there is this tendency to complicate that which is amazingly simple. Confusion. In being getting engrossed. The proliferating mind the uncertain feelings, 
the irresolute heart. And it's quite, uh, you, you, can, you can understand why it's like that. Because, of course, for most of one's life, all of the programming and the conditioning has been to be complex. To be a complex person. Multifaceted, complicated, not uh, direct, not simple. We are trained or taught to perform. You perform well, you get praise, you get good results, you get uh, attention, you get uh, love. You don't get you don't get that just through sitting. You get it because you can do some amazingly refined, specialized thing. So uh, uh, all of our psychological attitudes are not based upon a sense of trust and acceptance of the simplicity of our life, but a continual nagging need to make it complex. So if we can make it complex and and specialised, then we feel that's what we have to do in order to get to achieve some state of well-being, which we normally expect either from others to say, oh, look at that amazing thing you did. That's really wonderful. Nobody else has ever done that. Or at least for ourselves, thinking, well, you know, that was a pretty fine thing I did. Nobody else has ever done that. And how stressful that is. Uh, people do the most um, incredible things. It could be, one, one way, it's rather wonderful, the, the amazing things that human beings can do. If when, but when you experience it personally, you realise so much of it just comes from a need to do that in order to prove you're worthwhile. In order to feel you're a fully paid up member of Homo sapiens. <laughs> Which you don't get through by sitting or breathing in and out. Doesn't seem like a very amazing, wonderful, complicated, fascinating, delightful, uh, praiseworthy thing to do. This is not to deny or, or put down achievements, but to look at the, the, the mood behind it all. Why is it so necessary? What's that? And why is it that whatever we achieve and accomplish, we never feel completely content? We get a kind of little glow, maybe, when the nagging stops. And then after a while, it picks up again. Got to do another one. You know, you've got eight gold medals, you need nine. And when we come to Dharma practice, the, some of the courage of it and the stepping out is to have the faith, the courage to actually step out of that syndrome. Before we can see and experience the mind or the, the emotion, the thought habits with that directness, we need to take and practice well 
and gain our balance just through experiencing this body with that simplicity. Here we have a rather fine opportunity. Actually nothing else is asked. You don't have to be happy, popular, wise, intelligent, vivacious, outstanding, or crazy. Yes, there is the 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 the, the routine of the day. You know, the ability to just what it takes to, to get up in the morning to look after the body so that you feel awake and refreshed, to come and to sit. So we can actually sit so the body is sitting and putting our attention into, into just that much. This morning I was just pointing out the physical posture. A very simple thing and yet what you can express in a few words, almost just because you can express it in a few words no longer seems significant. Because it's not complex to sit so that your your back your smaller your back is 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 honoured, is kept is tucked inwards, your your uh, shoulders, your arms, your hands are relaxed, your head is straight, on your your neck is straight, and you can experience the breath fully. Just to keep coming back to that, so that we are we're using that as a balance for our fascination and dread of mind states. And this is the uh, getting the right uh, ability to, to attend, to limit one's attention and to not attend to that which, you, which one is not prepared for. When we, come, when we do a meditation retreat we also have this uh, blessing, this great gift that we don't have to solve it all now. We, we are given the time and encouragement to work upon skillful means, to cultivate the root of it all. If we cultivate this root properly and fully, with something as simple and as seemingly um, un, uh, unproductive as awareness of the body, then we're beginning to take a stand against the compulsive identification experiences, the obsession experiences, the me-mine experiences, the what-I've-got-to-do experiences, the I'm-not-getting-anywhere experiences, the uh, uh, will-I-do-it-in-this-lifetime experiences, the, all that. All those uh, patterns of obsessive gain and failure and praise and blame that uh, so catch the heart and are mind wrought. They're like tape loops that you can hear in almost anything you do. And meditation, mindfulness, so that when we, when we sit and then we stand up, there's standing up and there's walking, we go to the dining hall, say, just what it, how to be able to, to surrender into just the ordinariness of walking into the dining room. 
rather than the idea of going for the meal or the tea or the ruminations over what went wrong for the last hour or so in your meditation. But just to drop that and to get up so that you're just with the walking, going to the dining room, waiting for the food, being with that, rather than, you know, rather than rushing on to the next event in the day. This is where you find, it's often in, in these seemingly insignificant times and moments that you find you're really starting to, to release yourself from the karmic patterns. Because, as we say, meditation itself can become another one of those. Another one of the, here we go for my special experience events. Whereas walking to the dining room probably isn't. It's just, the, oh well, here we go. The special experience is going to be um, you know, getting into the alfalfa sprouts or, or um, something like that. But just now we're walking and then the pulling out of the chair, and then the sitting down, and then the, the plate, and so on. So it's this basis, mindfulness of the body, which is the first base and the most reliable base, the home base for this viveka, for this non-attachment. Clear awareness and non-attachment to karmic drives, to self motivated, self-oriented, self-conscious drives. We begin to, to find that there occurs a sense of calm, a sense of trust, and a sense of relationship with uh, this physical form, something that you're with for a lifetime. <coughs> 